The mafia dons, corrupt cops and crooked bookkeepers of Australian finance exposed and the Aussie scapegoat in the anti-China war agenda. Coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 20th of July 2023. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robbie Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, we're going to be showing you how the banks, the big banks' lies are catching up with them. And we're going to talk about the case of Dan Duggan, another in a series of cases a la Julian Assange, uh, whistleblower cases galore that are accruing and mounting up that we need to take on. Now, don't forget, hit the like button to help the video circulate, subscribe, share it as widely as you can, and there'll be a link below as well where you can donate if you support what we're doing. Now, before we start on the main topics, we do have a quick update and call to action for all of our good supporters out there who are used to harassing the politicians on various issues, and as we know, it makes a huge impact We've had some major victories, and this one is on the social media censorship law, which you talked about on last week's show. No, that's right. So we last week we put out the call for people to make submissions to the exposure draft. Um, so we've put out a release this week with the details in it, plus um, we have a three-page article yes. in here by Solicitor Bob Butler, which is a, a detailed examination of the bill, right, so people can see what's what's actually in the bill, so that... They know when the government uses the language it, it, it does to reassure people that this is not an infringement on their civil liberties and their freedom of speech. They'll be able to see that um, you know, the government's being deliberately disingenuous. Mm. right? Um, anyway, so yeah, that's there. It's clear. I did a show on this um, a few days ago with Martin North mm. when there was 21 days to go for this consultation period in which people can get in their submissions. And Martin called it 21 days to 1984. Mm. And because it is, it is Orwellian, right? So we've, we've actually explained the, um, all the implications in there. So if you need those details, go on our website and look at the, look at the press release and look at the article. Um, so now there's less than 20, fewer than 20 mm. days to go. Please make a submission. By the 6th of August. Or else a lot of that we're going to talk about in this mm. show, Elisa, yes. would risk being classified as misinformation or disinformation, and then we wouldn't be able to talk about it. I mean, you and I would be able to talk about it in this room together. Mm. The government's not going to bash down the door and and stop us from doing that. But we oh, And we could go crank out a printing press, maybe, right, and publish a whole bunch of things. As and they're we not going do. To, as we do. And they're not going to break down the printing press. Mm. But the... The, the mass social media, social media phenomenon mm. would just be blocked, right? And and um, it wouldn't even be one detail at a time. What they're doing is they're pushing the the, um, the platforms into designing algorithms to preemptively block everything that might come up that might be construed as that. And so one of the areas that we talk about a lot, which I can tell you would be considered um, disinformation, is foreign policy. And, mm. and, and just on that, I want to make a, 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 a very quick point, which is also, also by way of an update. We spent the last few weeks in the lead-up to the NATO summit in Vilnius. We went very big warning people about the danger of a false flag attack around the Zaporozhye nuclear plant, right? Which the Ukrainians were warning was going to be a false flag attack by the Russians, even though the Russians controlled the plant and it's in Russian-controlled territory, Zelensky and there was all this hysteria about the Russians are going to blow up the Zaporozhye plant and Zelensky came, claimed they'd mined the, the, um, the react, a number of the reactors, etc., mm-hmm. etc. We said, and based on very good sources, no, the, it's, the opposite is true. Um, the only people that would benefit from that would be Zelensky with his agenda to bring, in, um, to, 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 to bring NATO into the war, which idiotic Americans like Senator Lindsey Graham were helping with, right? So we said that. And we made a big deal about warning it because we wanted to warn people that this was being um, thought of in the lead up to the NATO summit. Uh, it hasn't happened. Mm. Doesn't mean it won't happen. It hasn't happened. But the point is, now that the NATO summit's over, on the anti-Russian side, the news has completely dropped 
any discussion of this possibility of an attack that Zelensky had been screaming about. Mm-hmm. And we on this show played clips of the Rafael Grossi, who I mistakenly called Italian, turns out he's Argentinian, um, the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, contradicting Zelensky in real time, saying, no, we're on the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. So we did our bit to debunk this before it could happen. And um, we are one of the voices that I'm sure helped stop it from happening, right, um, if that was the plan. And the fact that the Western media have just dropped all talk of the danger of this shows you it was the plan, right? But they, 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 we made it so they wouldn't get away with it. That's exactly the sort of thing that this kind of bill yeah. would be able to shut down all, all the kind of warnings we put out, they'd be able to shut that down, mm-hmm. right? So that's an example. That's, that's what, that's, there's lots of different reasons to be concerned about what they call misinformation, disinformation. Uh, um, you know, I've highlighted some foreign policy discussion ones. There's lots of different reasons. Engage. Defend your right to freedom of speech. Make a submission before the 6th of August. Well, another example of that suppression of how we get the word out is uh, in our first topic, the mafia dons, corrupt cops and crooked bookkeepers of Australian finance exposed because certainly the banks would love to have a mechanism to suppress the kind of message we're putting out and our collaborators are putting out at the moment where we are putting a spotlight and not letting it stray elsewhere on the lies that are coming out of the mouths of the CEOs of the major banks. And there's a bunch of them. We mentioned some of them last week. You showed some videos. We're just going to recap that. Just can we just to explain the title, I think, because we're going oh, yeah. to fill in the gaps. But we, it just occurred to us there's, there's three different aspects of, of Australia's financial system that's really under intense mm. scrutiny right now. One is the banks. And we've been right at the centre of that, especially on, on the question of branch closures. I'll rant on that. So we've called them the Mafia Dons. But the Mafia Dons have never able to operate alone. They need, they need minions. And there's, there's a, a few yeah. types. One of them is the, is the crooked. So th- think of, go watch the movie The Untouchables and think of Chicago and under Al Capone, right? Um, there's the Mafia Dons. He had the, he had the corrupt cops. And those are the regulators. Mm. And they're under huge um, scrutiny. And then the bookkeepers. And remember, in, in, in the movie, it comes down to the bookie. They couldn't. They had. They had to get the bookie in order to show what the um, Al Capone's crimes. And the bookies are the accountants, right? And in this case, the big four global accounting firms: PwC, KPMG, Deloitte, and uh, Ernst and Young, right? EY. Um, they're they're really copying it in Australia, and so they should. Mm-hmm. And so these are the these are the major elements of the financial system that is so corrupt. It's, you know, it's, it's victimised hundreds of thousands of Australians. It's, dest- it's destroyed the productivity of our, fun- of our economy, etc. So we'll, go, we'll fill in the details now, but that's yeah. where the, that's where the um, yeah, metaphor we're gonna, came Yeah, we're going to spend a bit of time on each of those three areas because yeah. they are all getting a grilling at the moment. And it's actually, you know, really testament to the political process and how it can work that this is happening because it's coming from um, the Senate and um, the Senate inquiry process and various economics committees in the House and so forth um, that are putting the heat on. Um, And the only input that they're getting is from the likes of organisations like ourselves and our collaborators and you guys out there. Uh, It's it's siphoning up the chain. It's getting back to MPs. They know they have to take these matters seriously. So um, the House Economics Committee has had... uh, in the um, the chambers for um, scrutiny, the CEOs of all the big four banks. So just to recap some of what we discussed last week, Chairman um, Labor MP Daniel Molino put right up front questioning about regional banking closures that these CEOs have been um, overseeing. Which reflects the work we've done in the other committee. This is shaping this committee now. Yeah. So um, ANZ Chair Shane Elliott had to admit that the bank has closed almost half of its branches since he became CEO in 2017, but went on to mislead the hearing by claiming that they hadn't closed any remote branches when in fact they've closed some 24% of them. Now, Elisa, this was commented on, on social media and that he had misled the hearing by by pretending that they hadn't shut these 24% of branches in, in what's designated as remote areas. ANZ was so incensed, they called and demanded that that comment be removed. Now, 
That's that's ANZ trying to intimidate somebody. In reality, that's ANZ freaking out, mm. right? ANZ is the one who is intimidated, and that just shows you that um, uh, the the process. We knew we, we knew we'd, we'd um, scored big against Westpac, but they they were forced to uh, reverse eight branch closures. We knew we'd scored big against Commonwealth Bank. They had to put a. We'll come back to them in a minute. Had to put a three-year moratorium on regional branch closures. Now we've seen. Now we're seeing ANZ freaking out at this attention. Right? They're so thin-skinned mm. um, about this, but they're the ones who did it. They're the ones that ANZ misled. Shane Elliott misled the hearing last week. Let me say it again. Call me. Call me ANZ. Robert Barwick. One eight hundred. You can call the toll-free number one eight hundred six three six four three two. Tell me to apologise for this. Shane Elliott misled the hearing last week. Shane Elliott misled the hearing last week. And we won't even put you on hold for two hours. That's right. <laughs> we could do that. We could pass the we could pass the call around to everyone in the office. Um, that's what they did, right? If you don't do that, people are going to call you out. But now they can't ignore. Like the 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 social media account has a thousand followers. Hmm. The fourth biggest bank in Australia freaked out at someone saying that. Right. Yeah. So that's that's them being really, really sensitive. Thanks to this effort. And it just goes to show, if they had censorship laws, they'd make yep. use of them one way or the sure. other. Now, NAB um, in the stand was forced to own up to its own lies as well, because they'd put out these figures as regular viewers would remember, um, showing that bank interactions are down. But of course, um, that really was only it was a misleading misleading figures because it's only counting people that are doing your basic banking transactions. And um, to his credit, Daniel Molino drilled down on this and demanded to know, well, hang on, what about all the other people coming into the bank, you know, for all manner of other things? And he listed a bunch of them. Um, So what he said, obviously, you keep data on this. And the chair had to hand over to his side. The CEO, Ross McEwen. Ross McEwen, by the way, is a Kiwi, as is Shane Elliott. I don't know what it, I don't know how I feel about two Kiwis <laughs> being in charge of our, our two biggest banks. But then on the other hand, we probably shouldn't make too big a deal about it because we own their banks. They're out, they, you know, anyway. So Ross McEwen, though, he could tell the heat was on on this question. He handballed it to Rachel Slade. And I love what Martin North has done mm. with this clip. So Martin, Her response. Martin, apologies to Martin North. We're borrowing Martin's clip. He's done a great job. Because it really is this big a deal. Watch. But I'm just wondering, um, of the data you collect about branch activity, like obviously that kind of engagement has reduced, but what about people coming into the bank to um, talk to somebody at the bank to help them navigate the digital system? Like, I mean, how many interactions are there of a different nature? Um, and I, I imagine, you know, you probably record that, all the different kinds of things people do when they come in? Some of that will be recorded and some of it won't, but I'll pass to Rachel because Rachel has the information, it's her network and she sees what's coming in and out every day. But yeah. maybe the, if you can um, take... it's, a, it's a great question. And those those interactions that aren't um, don't result in a transaction, they're, they're actually very challenging to, to measure. Um, we don't measure them. Um, we don't measure them. Um, we don't measure them. In other words, Elisa... When she says we don't measure them, you know what that means? They have absolutely no proof yeah. that branch visitations have fallen. Which is the basis for branch closures. Yes. Now, can I say, think this through, I think I've explained this in previous weeks. What does she mean they don't measure them? Well, when these big megalithic corporations, monolithic, megalithic means rocks, I think, monolithic corporations access their data, they get off their computers right? And the, they don't have someone standing at the door with a ticker <laughs> counting everyone going in and out. They, don't, they want to employ as few people as possible. So they're only extracting data that's from their computers. And the rec- computers only record deposits and withdrawals. So here's the thing. If that's true for ANZ, sorry, for NAB, that they're only recording deposits and withdrawals when they talk about this data, that's true for all of them, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we, that, just the other day, we put it on the front page of the alert, um, our, our friend of the show, Paul Thomas, cash and transit guy, was in the, the Westpac Bank in Reevesby. Westpac's at George Branch in Reevesby, and he just sent me a photo. Mm. It, there's a queue out the door. It's chockers. And even if they counted everyone that got to the counter, 
What about all the people that leave in disgust <laughs> yeah, they... or are told they can't do their transaction because yes. we don't carry cash or something? Angela Cramp told me about that, the, the head of the LPO group. The last time we talked about this, she, she, she was queuing up at NAB to have to do some banking. And one teller, mm-hmm. there were six of them, and half hour to go before closing time, and people just started peeling out of the queue because they knew they weren't going to get served, yeah. right? So they're full of it. And that has now come out. And the thing is, though, this is the whole rationale for closing branches. They're not being used. We now have proof they have no proof that mm-hmm. they're not being used, mm-hmm. right? And this really has to be rammed home yeah. through the senators and through the parliament and put these banks back in their place. So there are more hearings coming up for the yes. regional banking uh, closure inquiry soon in Western Australia, which will be the next point of interface. That's right. That's the, the 13th and 14th of August in Western Australia. Mm. So uh, the 13th in Carnama, WA, and I'm really happy they got a hearing um, because, have I got those dates right? The 15th. 14th and 15th. 15th is the Tuesday in Carnama and the 16th, oh. unless I've got that wrong. No, lucky it's you're in here. in Beverly. Okay, whatever. Check, just what, check the calendar. Whatever, whatever the Monday, whatever the Tuesday, the Tuesday and Wednesday, Wednesday is of the yeah. third week of August, um, we'll get the producer to put the exact dates on the screen. Carnama uh, in WA and then Beverly in WA. Fifteenth and sixteenth. Fifteenth and sixteenth. Okay, you even Confirmed. spoke up. Okay. Thank you, producer. You want you want a seat at the desk? <laughs> Quite happy here. <laughs> He's happy there. Okay, but speaking of cashless branches. CBA has made yes. an announcement. All right, now, so um, we're still we're still you know winning against these banks. I don't want to don't don't um, don't assume we're not. But also, um, don't be surprised when the banks have to retreat because we're forced into retreat. And then they come up with something devious, mm. right? To, Obviously. Because they're banks. They're yes. always going to come up with something devious. They don't go back to the boardroom and say, how could we better serve the people of Australia? <laughs> That's not the discussion that happens around the boardroom. It is, what do we have to do to con these um, fools into thinking, into thinking that we're <laughs> serving them, right? So what, what Commonwealth Bank has announced is that it's, gonna, that it's opening up these um, specialist they say a small number of specialist city centres, city centres in the CBDs or the, the the inner city areas of Sydney and Melbourne and whatnot, and they will be they will not be for deposits and withdrawals. They will be cashless. Okay, here's what I'd say about that. What they are not doing, what those centres are, are not, is not branches. They are not branches. A branch is defined in the law, not in a not in an APA regulation, the law, in legislation. A branch, a bank branch is defined as um, accepting deposits and giving change. And change, Elisa, doesn't just mean paper, it means coins. That's why the branch that tells you to go and get your money out of the ATM Mm. is also not a branch, Mm -hmm. right? Now, this has been in the law for years and years. In other words, the true number of branch closures in Australia is greater than it appears because all those CBA is now copying ANZ. All those ANZ and CBA cashless centres must not be counted as branches. APRA is the regulator to enforce that, but because they're banks, what does APRA do? It's ignored it. And once this was one of the first victories Dale Webster had, and because um, she got this raised in Parliament, Dale Webster, the independent journalist who's done all the work on this, one of the first, um, she, she showed, look, these they're getting away with counting branches that aren't branches. So APRA, instead of enforcing the law, and opened a consultation process with the banks to change the law because they are the banks. So wouldn't that be nice if, you know, we have this law in Victoria now that if I touch my mobile phone while I'm driving, mm. you, the first thing that happens, you'll yell at me. <laughs> the, second, the second thing that will happen is, um, what is it, an $800 fine or something ridiculous, oh, right? 600. What if the policeman who comes to my car door says, let me consult with you. Would you like me to change that law, <laughs> right? Would you like that? And I'd say, sure, thumbs up. <laughs> well, we don't get treated like that. The banks do. And that's, um, anyway, we're not going to let, so they can be weasel, so they can't help themselves. That's, this is their nature as banks. 
They're going to try and weasel on, on everything. We will keep hammering them on yeah. everything. Now that's the banking dons. Now onto their corrupt cops, the yes. regulators. Now, as viewers again would know, there's an inquiry. We just into, mentioned one, APRA. And there's an inquiry into ASIC, the Australian Securities Investments Commission, which is another regulator. It's meant to police uh, investments and so forth. As we know, it absolutely does not. Um, now. Uh, John Adams, the independent economist, has had a big input into the ongoing inquiry and he's just revealed, uh, you did an interview with him on Citizens Insight, which people can see on our YouTube channel if that's where you're watching this now, um, the next show down on the list. Um, John revealed that a number of people in the media were contacted by ASIC saying that John Adams is a nutcase you know, yep. in other words, trying to put them off... Shoot the messenger. ...from working with him and discredit John in the eyes of the inquiry. This, I assured John he was not a nutcase when it came to ASIC. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the show? John and I talk a lot, as you know, and um, the, the interview I did with him this week was uh, a lot of fun because, in a sense, what you're seeing in that interview is the conversations that he and I have... Um, quite intense, intensely about these subjects because we're, we're constantly strategizing about pushing our campaigns forward to try and get results. Um, we were at some of the, without, without airing all the, the most sensitive stuff, we're, essentially you get to see us having a conversation like we have a lot every single day um, where we, we're sharing with the viewer the, the kind of thinking that goes into, into the, um, this campaign. And um, uh, in this case... What, what ASIC tried to do to John is what ANZ tried to do to the social media post, mm. right? Shut it down, yeah. take it out. And in this case, he showed, and we've covered this a lot, but you know, his report was devastating. They don't, not only do they, don't they enforce the law, they don't even investigate to enforce the law, mm. right? This is a dis, the, the dysfunctional regulator, as we, as we called it. Um, and the freak out that's coming, now we can see coming out of ASIC is yeah. absolutely enormous. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it's coming, being revealed through freedom of information requests that John Adams has put in. Yeah, so he also did a show with Martin North on Interest of the People, which you can watch and you can find the link to that. We'll put it below. Revealing that his freedom of information requests show that the head of ASIC, Joe Longo, tried to manipulate Parliament to take the heat off him and off ASIC in this inquiry, which again just goes to show that this inquiry is hitting payload. And we've got, and this is this is a lot more serious than going around to backgrounding journalists saying, "Oh, he's a nutcase." Um, a lot more serious than that. And that's not good either. That's that's pretty bad. That sh that shows how weak ASIC is. Mm. But there's a div there's a separation of powers, Elisa. And so ASIC, as a government regulator, is part of the executive. The parliament is the legislature, and it makes the laws, and it has oversight over. The, the enforcement, the following of the laws, right? And so what Joe Longo tried to do, there's actually two instances now. When there was, um, uh, when John Adams' report first came out, uh, one of these FOI requests revealed that, that um, someone at ASIC said, oh, can we, can we put in a, a Dorothy Dixer about this? Mm. A Dorothy Dixer means you feed a member of parliament a, a, a softball question so that, you can, they can ask it to you in public and you can answer it in the way you want. That already shows an improper relationship between ASIC and its oversight. Mm -hmm. Because, look, the reason ASIC is so sick is because the two major parties forever have let it be sick. Mm. That's the problem, right? They're, they're part of this. There's, um, so there's that part of it. And then, yeah, uh, Longo freaked out at the terms of reference for this inquiry that, that Senator Bragg is... is um, uh, chairing and he actually posed the, the question in these documents oh can we ch can we water it down right can we get can we get another uh, committee to get it watered down now that so we don't know how that transpired but mm. the, the fact that the question is being asked displays this improper relationship this is this is a breach of the um, separation of powers mm. right and potentially worse. And the fact that it is hurting ASIC is also shown in another fight brewing this week, which is um, reports in the media 
showing that ASIC is, has refused to hand over files to the Treasurer despite being ordered by the Senate to do so. The best part of that is the response of the Chairman, Andrew Bragg. And have a look at the interview, like I said. You'll see me ask John about Senator Bragg because, you know, a lot of this does come down to the quality of, of, the, of the people in the building and the sincerity of their intent. And, you know, Bragg is a Liberal, he's from the Financial Services Council, a lot of people have question marks over him, is he really sincere, etc. What we can say now is, as, as, this, as this inquiry has got more serious, Bragg has got tougher. And so his response to this refusal yesterday of ASIC to comply with this order to hand over documents mm. um, was to... Uh, accuse them of being in contempt of the Senate, mm. right? Which is really tough language because guess what? We're going to uh, we'll actually write an article about this. But um, in the history of Australia, there are people who've got this. You know, the, this comes under the area of what they call the privileges of Parliament. Um, there are people who've gone to jail for being found to have attacked the privileges of Parliament. Parliament has enormous powers; they don't use them mm. in this area, and that's why they're con- a lot of these committees are just so weak they'll stay weak until parliament some some privileges committee makes an example of somebody who is not abiding by the system right you the the transparency part of the system of parliament is the best part of it that requires people to be honest people Mm -hmm. to cooperate Mm -hmm. right and if they're not doing that and especially these people like government regulators maybe some some of them should find themselves in um legal hot water and hell, if necessary, go to jail. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now on to the crooked bookkeepers. Ah. Um, so you mentioned before the big four accounting firms who also function as consultants to government. So again, you have that overlap between yep. these two different functions of the government and the policing. Um, now the people may know there's also a Senate inquiry ongoing into these big four firms and others and that's led by Senator Deb O'Neill and Barbara Pocock, who on Monday in the hearing drew out um, a whole bunch of more interesting things that have, um, than what already has emerged with the PwC scandal. There's a Deloitte scandal, it turns out, another breach of confidentiality, this time uh, where people from Deloitte were passing on information from the Defence Department. So Defence Department probably does the most outsourcing of any government agency yeah. in Australia. Um, so you have these uh, external agencies that are privy to a lot of information and they go and pass it to their mates. So the, yeah, so this guy, this Deloitte partner, took um, you know, sensitive or classified defence documents mm. and he had friends who were setting up their own consultancy and he shared it with them. Now, we will follow this story, Elisa, because you mentioned it earlier. Um, there's, a, there's a, a war on whistleblowers in Australia, right? Mm. David McBride, our friend, is, faces 50 years in jail for being the guy who told the truth about war crimes in Afghanistan. Um, uh, uh, the, the ATO whistleblower, Richard, uh, Boyle. Richard Boyle, 100, if, if he cops everything, 150 mm. years for telling the truth about what happens inside the ATO. With all, the, with, with all this attention on, on the regulators on the um, the accountants, the, mm. the, the consultancy firms by the government, let's see if it's sound and fury signifying nothing or whether it's real. Because if David McBride can face 50 years, what's going to happen to this guy who's obviously a buddy of them all, mm-hmm. one of them, right? One, someone who's just trying to profit. What's going to happen to him who on paper has done technically the same thing, right? Incorrectly treat classified information so we'll follow this closely and i want the viewer to pay attention to this to this story if you don't hear of a deloitte guy going to jail yeah right well get come to the david mcbride trial in (laughs) in um canberra in november and we need to ramp up those parliamentary powers again because the chair of deloitte tom imbasey refused again he refused to provide details to the senate that were requested Um, Jeff Watson, a director at the Centre for Public Integrity, commented on that. He said, I don't understand how companies which make hundreds of millions of dollars a year from government contracts can deny information to the Australian taxpayer. Um, 
Now, and there's a whole raft of things, and we'll cover this in um, coming editions of the alert service, but, you know, they're using a partnership model rather than an incorporated company model to avoid uh, CEOs having liability. There's a whole raft of things that are raised by this case. What they do is, and these these are fascinating here because there's a KPMG whistleblower that was that was um, revealing a lot of this, but we, but we this is this is a, a feature of the system that we've known for a long time. Um, just to explain it quickly, the, the the a partnership in a partnership, you, the partners have all the liability; they are responsible for all the money and all the debts, all of it. A company is limited liability, right? And so um, you. In a company, if you're part of the company, you are uh, you are liable for the money. If you're the the owner, the investor, investor, you're only liable for the amount of money you've invested and put in, right? And that has that has privileges, so that the trade-off for those privileges is transparency, right? And legal re- and legal responsibilities. So the CEO, the board, etc., they all have legal responsibilities that don't apply to a company because the company is not governed is not regulated by the corporate regulator because it's sorry they don't apply to a partnership the partnership's not regulated for the by the corporate regulator because it's not a corporation mm. everyone that's exposed to that has those liabilities what these big four accounting firms were allowed to do is conjure up a hybrid that gave them all the privacy of a partnership mm. with all the limited liability of a company and they even have CEOs who are just appointees in name only the CEO in a in in when you hear Deloitte CEO, KPMG CEO, PwC, it's a meaningless term. They're, yeah, they, they're a CEO. They get they're called CEO. They get money for that, mm. right? But they have no obligations of a normal CEO of a company. None. It's just a joke. And the, the KPMG mm. guy went through that. Everything is rigged in their favour. And what did also come out, which is I made, um, like this this is already well known. If you've been paying attention, we were screaming about this years ago. These four. Auditors audit all the world's biggest multinationals, all of them, and nobody audits them. Mm-hmm. They have the they have a an association of sorts. It's as that's supposed to provide some form of oversight. It's as weak as anything. Well, the Deloitte chief executive in that hearing on Monday, Adam Powick, he admitted the consulting sector operates without any clear oversight or regulation. Um, Brendan. Lyon, KPMG, KPMG partner turned whistleblower, he called for a Royal Commission into the sector and very importantly, former ACCC chief, competition chief, Alan Fells, demanded, and this is not the first time, the breakup of those big four consulting firms. He said that audit work is critical to the economy and shouldn't be compromised. Non-audit activities, he said, have the potential to com- compromise the conduct of audit Self-regulation cannot be relied upon here, here, nor can government regulation. We therefore need legislation to break up the big four and in turn other audit businesses and to prohibit audit businesses from doing consulting advisory and other forms of business because of this overlap. Good on you, um, uh, Alan Fells. Um, just remind people, Elisa, we were ahead of the game on this. In 2019, mm. we, got, uh, we wrote a bill that Bob Catter introduced in the Parliament calling for a the Auditor General, the Commonwealth Auditor General, to take over the audits of the big four banks in Australia precisely because you couldn't trust, you can't trust the quality of the audits of the big four audit firms, mm. right? That's that's what we said four years ago and then put up a bill to that effect. The fact that this is all coming out now is great. What it's what it's showing is a scandal that started in PwC is now just, it's, it's mm. like a, it's like you know unstoppable lava coming out of a volcano. It's spilling over onto mm. everything. They're all in the firing line now, and this goes to the um, there's, there's there's seven institutions that have been central to the corruption of the global financial system, and it's these big four auditors and the three ratings agencies. This was really clear at the time of the 2008 crisis, right, where the ratings agencies gave bogus. Ratings and the auditors gave bogus audits, right? And all these banks went under. And it should have been the number one, paying attention to that should have been the number one reaction to that crisis. Instead, it was all swept under the carpet Mm. because the corruption still reigns, right? There was no intent to clean it up. 
And if you're going to clean it up, you've got to unmask all this. And it's really great that here in Australia, this is this is looks like it's an unstoppable process. Yeah, no, very, very good. It's going to lead to change if we keep um, pressing the issue. Now, um, talking about unstoppable processes, there's a the war against whistleblowers that you mentioned. We want to move to our next topic, the Aussie scapegoat in the anti-China war agenda. Now, for people who don't know, um, there's an Australian father with six children. He's uh, separated from them and from his wife at the moment in a, a horrible prison in New South Wales. Solitary confinement in Lithgow Jail. He's um, He's been designated an extreme high-risk prisoner. So, as you said, he's in solitary confinement. He's receiving very harsh treatment. He's got lack of food, lack of heating, lack of blankets, basic necessities, access to medical care and very limited access to family, legal assistance and so forth. Why is he there? Well, he's there because of nothing he did, um, because he's the scapegoat. And the old scapegoat is they put, you know, the people would agree, oh, we'll, we'll put all the sins on this goat, <laughs> right? The goat can carry all our sins. And um, uh, that's actually what, what, what's happened to uh, Daniel Duggan. Um, so Dan Duggan's a top gun. He was a U.S. Navy pilot um, before he moved to Australia, and he became an Australian citizen. Now he's one of ours. He's one of our citizens. He's been a citizen for, you know, twenty odd years or whatever. He's got an Australian family, um, and I want we'll run the we'll put as many photos up as we can. I mean, he has a lovely family, mm-hmm. right? And I've met Safreen Duggan now, his his wife. Uh, met her a couple of weeks ago in Canberra. Um, this has destroyed their life, right? And why? Because. I don't even want to... I'm going to mention, you know, 2010 uh, to 20, 2012 because that's that's on paper why, but it's not why. In, from, in 20, from 2010 to 2012, he did some work at a flight training academy in South Africa and um, for that, he is now serving in solitary confinement in Lithgow in New South extreme Wales. Extreme high risk. Supposedly extreme high risk. That's not why. What, what, what the real why is because in the last few years, some very evil people in the United States and the United Kingdom decided mm. that they want to pursue a their unipolar... They will blow up the world in order to keep their status as the unipolar superpower, the Anglo-American superpower. They must run the world. They define the rules-based order where they write the rules. It's not international law. It's the rules-based order. And in reaction to the rise of China, which was always going to happen... By the way, before the before the European colonists went to India and China, Elisa, they were each each of those countries was one quarter of the world economy each because they've got the biggest populations. Of course, they were going to be the biggest economies. After centuries of being looted, they're starting to come back, right? And China is now rising, um, and so these people who think that they should rule the world, they've now got a country that's not going to let them rule the world in that way, right? And so they said, well, we're going to go to war over this. And that's what we've been screaming about on this show. And because yep. because that shift happened, um, they had to make an example of somebody. I just want to... This was testimony. Forgive me because I didn't bring my glasses today. But just to show you how arbitrary what's happened to Dan Duggan is. In, in February this year, Air Chief Marshal Wigston in the UK gave testimony to the UK House of Commons... And the testimony was about this phenomenon that they're freaking out about now of, of Western pilots training Chinese pilots, right? Mm. That's, what the, that's what his testimony was about. He acknowledged that when they did this, there was no reason to think they were doing anything wrong, right? He said, training had been going on for, quote, going on for many years, and it goes back to a period when we, that is the authorities, the establishment, took a different approach to China, we took a much more engaging approach. We did training. It was formal. We had state visits. And the red arrows went displayed in China in 2018. So I can understand why those people who went and became contractors, helping in simulators and with flying, training at that stage, would have felt that it was a reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's what he said this year, acknowledging that, that in the context of the times, they did nothing wrong. This is all being retrofitted, right, to make to demonise what he did. But also, Daniel Duggan insists 
that at no stage did he train Chinese Air Force pilots. Mm -hmm. He did train Chinese pilots 10, 12 years ago. But he didn't train, he insists he didn't train Chinese Air Force pilots. But get this, what we've got is a series of articles that Melissa Harrison has written in the Alert Service, which are really, they're comprehensive, right? And, and what should motivate you to read this is these photos of these little kids and his daughter there broke her arm recently. Look at look at her age, and she broke her arm. Mm. My, our, you know, our daughter broke her leg, right? At a, probably a little bit older than this. You want to be there for them at that time, right? She's calling out for daddy. Um, if this guy is innocent, we should all be burning with utter rage. And everything we've seen is shows that this guy is absolutely innocent. That's why you should want to know these details. But the Brits and Americans and Australians have had like this low-level whinge for years about losing their military personnel to higher-paid jobs for foreign governments. But they weren't whinging because they felt it was a threat. They were whinging because, you know, they couldn't match the money that these foreign institutions or whatever would pay, right? And so they're losing personnel. That's all they were whinging about. And they said, oh, the problem is this is not illegal, hmm. right? In other words, there's, a, there's official acknowledgements that it wasn't even illegal Yet under the Trump administration, and who knows whether Trump probably didn't even have a clue this was happening, people like Mike Pompeo, they set out to make an example of somebody. And what Melissa Harrison has shown in this series is there was a coordinated um, operation with intelligence agencies, the Five Eyes intelligence agencies, and, and especially the three that are part of AUKUS, Australia, United Kingdom and United States, a coordinated operation to try and um, s highlight this as if it was some kind of a threat to us and that the pilots and other personnel that would be doing kind of training, they're not just training, they're handing over our secrets, yeah. right? That did a number of things. That allowed them to introduce new laws, more far-reaching extensive national security laws, right, to crack down on protecting our secrets, Um that allowed them to do that. That allowed them to demonize. That allowed them to, to, to take this phenomenon of training foreign countries. And when it comes to China, say, um, oh, this is China's way of trying to infiltrate and steal from us. See China as a threat. Mm -hmm. So to change the whole narrative, all that sort of stuff. Um, she identifies the date at which suddenly, almost out of the blue, there was an eruption of press coverage mm. in the United Kingdom to suddenly demonize all this stuff, an eruption of it. Yet, um, uh, well, we'll come back to that in a minute. The, it coincided with this arrest of Dan Duggan in Australia. Mm. And the arrest of Dan Duggan was then reported as if it verified, it corroborated the hysteria over there in the UK. Mm. Yet you've got Americans like um, uh, oh, the, the Asia's are, Obama's Asia's Kurt are, Campbell. Kurt Campbell, making comments like, oh, before AUKUS, we were worried that the Australians and the Brits were forming their own relationships with China, mm -hmm. right? And they were, they were, they were in danger of, of you know, weakening our sort of strategic uh, uh, situation, right? Mm -hmm. So we had to bring them into line. And there's this whole, there's many layers to this operation of making sure that they, they take these three countries that each individually had perfectly amicable relations with China, su suddenly turn that into absolute hostility where now we've normalized the talk of war. But in order to reinforce that, you've got to create examples that can calm the people into thinking there's a threat. Yeah. And in all that, when it comes to the pilots issue, Dan Duggan is the guy they made the scapegoat to reinforce that. Yeah. And that's why, as far as we can see, that's why that man is in solitary confinement in Lithgow prison, waiting to be extradited to the United States, separated from his family, mm. just so these evil warmongers can get their way and talk us into a war mm. that will be a war of annihilation of all of us. Yeah. So he's the fall guy. And, and just to get the timeline clear, so June 2021 was when ASIO went to the Australian Defence Forces and revealed this plot to try, train the Chinese pilots, right? That was three months before the AUKUS deal was announced, yes. right? 
So you've got that. And then later on, ASIO head Mike Burgess said, as we progress AUKUS, it's critical our allies know that we can keep our secrets and keep their secrets. Then fast forward to October last year. So this is when the spate of media coverage that you mentioned blew up in Britain, October 2022. There had already been, the story had surfaced earlier in an intelligence publication, but at this time, the British media just went gung-ho with this at the same time that the British Prime Minister, Liz Truss at that time, and the Ministry of Defence put out intelligence alerts about, you know, be on the lookout for uh, pilots that are training Chinese, etc. But this was exactly timed to coincide with trying to get this new UK national security bill up to provide new tools, as they put it, to tackle security challenges. Um, so, yeah, this was all part of the drive to get this. I mean, it's the Five Eyes, all the intelligence agencies collaborating together, but as you said, particularly the AUKUS members of that, to uh, consolidate that network yep. aimed at China. And as many commentators have been saying in the wake of that NATO summit, and Kurt Campbell himself has admitted... AUKUS is a foot in the door for NATO expansion into the Pacific. Two US senators on the Armed Services Committee have just said this outright and Adam Creighton summed it up this way in The Australian on the 17th. He said, senior Republican and Democratic congressman declared NATO's expansion into the Asia-Pacific region inevitable, arguing that the AUKUS Security Pact, of which Australia is a key member, is the first step into turning the growing military into a global bulwark against Chinese and Russian power. And I just want to add to this that during that big spate of media coverage in Britain in October 2022, which coincided with the targeting of Duggan, the Daily Mail stated at that time, they said, as all the members of Five Eyes, the intelligence sharing network comprising the UK, Australia, Canada, New Zealand and the United States were affected by the pilot scandal, a joint strategy as required to deal with it with every state uh, is required to deal with it with every state agreeing to the same measures. So they were trying to pull all of us into line yep. to have some external intelligence agency, the Five Eyes, which is the intelligence networks of those countries, not the governments, no one elected, to dictate how we respond to this and potentially to dictate war when the time is right. Now, Albanese, Prime Minister Albanese, at the NATO summit referenced this same type of a alignment uh, internationally when he was discussing the impact of Ukraine and the war, uh, ongoing war on the entire world, he said security can't be considered to be just behind national borders because our world is so interconnected. Australia must be engaged and have a seat at the table. Um, so this is what we're facing with, facing in terms of what Duggan personally is facing, but the broader agenda that he's the scapegoat for. Yeah, what you just read there is the formula for by which we've given up our sovereignty. Right, in their own words, they have to make us all step in. We're not allowed to make our own decisions on this, right? And so even the treatment of Dan Duggan is taking the same um, uh, path. Um, I want to read you this Mike Burgess, the, the head of ASIO, when he gave his 21st February speech on the annual threat assessments, he singled out Dan Duggan, essentially, because um, he, he attacked... Uh, he, he said that ASIO had identified former defence insiders who were, quote, willing to sell their military training and expertise to foreign governments, a small but concerning number who are willing to put cash before country. Third-party companies have offered Australians hundreds of thousands of dollars and other significant perks, perks to help authoritarian regimes improve their combat skills. However... Sorry, however the individuals rationalise their decisions, the bottom line is they are transferring highly sensitive, privileged and classified know-how to foreign governments that do not share our values or respect the rule of law. Mm. Right? Or respect the rule of law. What you just described, Elisa, and, and the article goes through, is this, the whole, the whole raison d'etre, the whole, sorry, the whole MO of these, these Five Eyes agencies is to underline, undermine the rule of law. They, they, they create pretexts to give themselves more... They, they change the law because the actual rule of law is too restrictive on them. Mm. So they, they create pretexts to give themselves sweeping powers 
And in the case of Duggan, um, he, there's a there's a thing called uh, dual uh, uh, dual criminality. There's a principle called dual criminality that is the basic that basically governs our extradition agreements in Australia. We when we have an extradition agreement with a country, in this case the United States, we will only extradite to the United States if the crime the United States is seeking extradition for is also a crime in Australia, mm. right? The Attorney General, Mark Dreyfus, is the guy who signed off on Duggan's arrest and is the reason he's in jail. Um, he refuses to answer whether what Duggan is accused of is a crime in Australia. And the fact he refuses to answer tells you the problem is the problem, right? Because it isn't. Yeah. It isn't a crime in Australia. What he's trying to do is bluff this in order to please the United States. But as I referred earlier, what, Elisa point, what Melissa points out in this series is it probably wasn't even a crime in the United States, mm. right? What he did, if what he's accused of is true, and he denies it, right? If what he's accused of is true, it's probably not even a crime in the United States. And I have this one detail that I got firsthand. The... Um, the uh, the indictments for the people involved in the South African training school, there's a whole bunch of British pilots there and stuff. Those indictments go down to the level of mechanics. The mechanics there are also indicted. Do you know who's not indicted? The guy who runs the school is mm. not indicted. The guy who had the oversight of all this is not indicted. And details like that tell you that, okay, there is this is a, a, a very suspicious operation now. In order, as we've identified, they've decided, um, you know, so that we can, so that people, when we when we tell people we're under threat and the, the, the Chinese are trying to grab our expertise, etc., um, so they think it's real, we've got to arrest someone, right? And that's what's happened to Dan Duggan. I'm outraged. He, there, he faces. If you're in Sydney next week, we'll put the yeah, details his below. Yeah, trial's coming up. There's a there's a hearing oh. on the on the uh, the Tuesday, right? And there will be a protest outside there. Get along to that. There's a couple of there's there's one there's a, something a few days afterwards as well. Get along to those events if you can, right? And and add your support. This is in that he's not a whistleblower, but it's in the same. He's a he's like the way he's being made an example of the way Assange is being made an example of the way McBride is being made an example of etc. That's that's where it's in the same it's in the same category. Yeah. All right. It is outrageous that this can happen in Australia and his poor family, it breaks my heart. Now, we'll put links below to those the two articles on this in this series by Melissa so that you can read the details. You can also contact us for a full copy of the alert publication, a complimentary copy if we haven't already sent you one, or you can subscribe to it, get it every week, and that supports what we do. That's the show for this week. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in and see you again next week. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.